0: Hey weirdos. So we are back in action, sorta. (laughs) And I want to say first and foremost, thank you for being so patient in between episodes. If you didn't catch the update, my oldest son has been hospitalized two hours away from where I live. So it's been a little crazy and hectic, but we really want to keep putting these episodes out. Erin and I are recording remotely today. (laughs) Yeah. So if it sounds a little different, if our vibe is a little bit different, um, that is probably why. But we have a really cool episode for you all, and my son does seem to be getting a little bit better. So perhaps we're sort of turning the dial towards getting him home and reestablishing some sense of normalcy, which would be great. (laughs) So anywho, today we are bringing it back to some true crime. So turn on some Hotel California because today we are headed to California for some curious disappearance cases. I think it's safe to say we're saying goodbye to summer, which is sad. But the good news is, vacation season is right around the corner. I love to buy a new suit for vacation, and CupShe is my one-stop shop for all things swim. Their suits are flattering on bodies of all shapes and sizes, and they have the cutest styles. I'm always getting compliments on my CupShe swimsuits. You can stock up on swimwear for your next trip right now by grabbing our up to fifty percent off sale items link in the show notes. Erin, have you ever been to California?
1: Yes. I have that's all no. Wait,
0: <laughs> really? No. No. Oh. I've, never, I've never been to California. Oh. You, yeah. you have an interesting California story
1: though, don't you? I do. I do, and I'm not happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, enlighten our listeners. So I went to California um. Years ago, my husband got the chance to go to E3, which if you're like a video game nerd, you should probably know what you would know what that is. But for the rest of you, um, E3 is a video game conference. All the like big names and like PlayStation, Xbox, Nintendo, they would all go there and they had different conferences and different things you could go to. And it was intense. I actually met Conan O'Brien when we went there. (laughs) So I didn't realize that. Yeah, I actually I touched his shoulder and that I was just like, I couldn't even move because I'm a little obsessed with Conan (laughs) O'Brien. Yeah, he was at the PlayStation conference and we snuck into the after party and that's where he was. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) But anyway, I'm a big part of planning the vacations. And I'm like, you know what? If you want to do this, you can plan it. You can you can figure out where we're going to go. And he's like, okay, I found this hotel. Like he likes to do things on the cheap sometimes. (laughs) And um, he's like, I found this hotel. It's like really cheap. Like we can stay there for the week or whatever. When we got there, I'm like, this seems kind of sketch. And it ended up being um, on Skid Row. It was originally called the Cecil Hotel, but it's now called Stay on Main.
0: Yeah. And
1: so when he booked it, he just saw Stay on Main. And then he realized... It was the creepiest hotel, by the way. Like we didn't even, ha- it didn't even have key cards or anything. It just had like a, a key that I, I that sounds oh, weird, but it was just like this chintzy little key that went to the lock. And I felt like every night I was afraid and all the windows had bars on them. Cause so many people had like tried to jump out. Just oh, it's, so it's awful. And it's closed again as yeah. it should be.
0: Well, this <laughs> was the hotel. where What was her name? Elise Lamb. Yes. Yeah, she was found in the water tank. So if the Cecil Hotel is ringing any bells, it's because it was that one where there was a lady found in the the water tank. Actually, this ties in really well to like our our episode. Because I had some like a weird coincidence happen while I was putting this episode together. So I started researching two cases. And they kind of have like a weird similarity in common. So that's why I lumped the two, the two cases together and about 45 minutes into researching it, I realized that they happened like very close to each other in Southern California. And then there was two other cases that I remember hearing about that were in the same general location as the first case we're going to discuss. So all this stuff is happening in like Los
1: Angeles, which is where you are. Yeah. So are they in the Cisa hotel? No, no. Oh, okay.
0: This does happen in Calabasas though, which is where the Cardassians <gasps> live.
1: You know, I know that that's where they live. I know you know that.
0: <laughs> okay. So I'm going to jump right in here after I take a little drink seat. I'm sorry in advance if you hear my ice cubes, but I need, I need an alcoholic beverage while we do this because where it is drinking been a whirlwind. I am
1: drinking, I don't know, it's some kind of like hard seltzer. What are you drinking? I'm just having water, but wait, I will show you. We made Halloween cookies, so I'm I'm eating something. Oh
0: my gosh. Okay, so for anyone who can't see it, which is probably everybody because it's a regular episode, <laughs> it is a white cat. It's tongue sticking out. It's got little like sprinkles on the tail. It is so cute. Erin, you'll have to post those on your Instagram so that we can share it. Okay, yeah. Okay, I'll take a picture. Back to the cases here. We're going to take a swift, like, left turn from happy cookies to disappearing people, but here we go. (laughs) I'm ready. (laughs) So this first case is about the disappearance of Matthew Weaver. He was 21 when he went missing and he's from Simi Valley, California. And according to everyone, he was just a very happy, loving kid, despite having a really challenging upbringing. When you listen to most of the interviews on this case, a lot of times it's Matthew's stepmom who's being interviewed. It seems like she was the one that was like super involved with the case. This is because Matthew's biological mother left when he was four months old. So, in addition, his stepmom and dad went through a really tough divorce when he was a kid. He just really wanted to feel like he had a tight knit family in his corner, but that was something that he just never really had. And he kind of was. Shuffled around a lot as a kid. And it sounds like he was pretty well liked for the most part. So, adding to this, he was kicked out of his grandma's house, which is where he'd been living, about four months before his disappearance. And this was really hard on him. And his friends at this point started to notice. Subtle changes in his behavior. He ended up getting his own place in Granada Hills, California, and he was working on becoming a line operator for an AT&T subcontractor. And he was actually working with his dad, who is Matthew Weaver Sr. So on the surface, it looked like things were going okay, but his friends noticed that he was drinking more. He was dabbling in drugs to some degree. And it doesn't sound like really hard drugs, but definitely dabbling for sure, which was a change from kind of what he was doing before that. So there's also this weird detail shortly before he disappeared and he seemed to be interested in getting a gun. So he had asked a friend how to go about getting one. I guess he asked his dad even the day before if he could borrow his. And it sounded like his dad wouldn't let him, but he did take a picture of the gun and he posted it to his social media with the caption "Game over." So Hmm. that's kind of weird. Yeah. So later that same evening, when he was with his dad and he took the picture of the gun, he spent some time with a friend who was a girl, but it doesn't sound like a girlfriend per se, just a friend girl. And I guess this was a new friend that he didn't know super well. He had made some new friends since moving to this new kind of community that he was in. And we can piece together most of the movements that evening either by his friends account of what they did or his Snapchat activity. So, you know how you can use Snapchat to like see where people are if you're not in like ghost
1: mode? Oh, yeah, for sure. I have mine so locked down. I only let a few people see where I am and it's Same. like you? Yeah, my husband, um, and a couple family members because if I ever go missing, Same. Look at that.
0: Yeah. My husband can see, I can see where he is and he can see where I am, but he never goes on Snapchat. So if I was missing, I doubt that he'd ever think of it, but you would. I would. Yes. (laughs) So he must've not been in ghost mode because that is one of the ways that they have been able to kind of retrace his steps. His family was able to download his movements off of Snapchat. Which is good because his Google history, like location history, wasn't running. So that's really all we have to go off of. Okay. So at around 9 p.m., with he was with this friend, Melissa, and they were just kind of bumming around for the most part. They went to Walmart, and then we know that they went somewhere to buy cocaine. Um, I have not found that section of Walmart yet, so yeah, no. I'm not sure where they went. <laughs> they also went to a marijuana dispensary. So remember, this is California. So it's completely legal there at that point.
1: So what, what year was this? This was 2018. Okay. Cause I'm like, this has to be pretty recent. I couldn't remember if you said it or not. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: 2018. So they bought some weed, um, bought their cocaine. And then at some point they went back to Melissa's house and then they literally just sat in his car outside her house until like 5. AM. So I guess during this time, they were having a very heavy conversation where Matthew was just kind of venting about his life and his problems. So eventually, Melissa leaves and Matthew drives off. And it was said, I guess, by Melissa that she felt that this conversation was kind of awkward because she Mm -hmm. didn't know him that well. So all of a sudden, it's like he's pouring his heart out to her, and like they kind of didn't really have. I don't know. They didn't know each other that well. So it was kind of weird. Yeah. So at 515, he's driving on Mahalan drive, which is known for being like very curvy and windy. And I guess he knew this road really well. His former girlfriend said that he would often race his BMW three series down this road. And it sort of looks like he was retracing his route like driving the same route over and over again. So I think that kind of suggests that he was like racing around or joy riding or something like that. Mm-hmm. And actually, if I remember correctly, Mulholland Drive, I think, is where Tiger Woods got in his car accident. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Mulholland Drive. So anyway, things start to get weird around 6.57 a.m., He stops in the parking lot for the Topanga Lookout Trailhead, which is off of Stunt Road and Saddle Peak Road. And you can actually look it up on Google Maps and kind of follow along here if you want. Again, it's Stunt and Saddle Peak Road in Calabasas. So on the other side of this parking lot, there is a gated road. The road branches off in two directions. So one direction takes you towards Rose's Overlook. I've also heard it called Topanga Overlook. I think that's how it's tagged in Google Google Maps, if you're looking at that. Mm -hmm. The other side of this road takes you to this microwave tower that was owned by AT&T, but it had recently been purchased. So work was being done on it to renovate it. So there was a bunch of people working on it, and they're likely would have been a lot of traffic through there in the morning. And because of this, the gate that typically would have been locked was unlocked. So it looks like Matthew continued up with his car. Now, this isn't really a path to drive on. The first part is paved, but then after that, it's an unmaintained fire road. So there was an old fire lookout tower up there but it's since been abandoned. So it sounds like the road was kind of in disrepair too, because people weren't really going up that side. And it looks like he continued up with his car and it eventually gets really rough. And it's not anything that you would normally be driving on, especially not with a BMW car, but that's Mm -hmm. what he did. And he drove up this fire road and he eventually did take a selfie up at the lookout that's up there. The platform that was left over from this old fire tower is really distinctive. It's graffitied. So you can see it in one of the selfies that he took and it's, you know, unmistakable exactly where he was. Um, and he, it seems like he sat there at that location for like four hours. Hmm. So according to his girlfriend, his ex-girlfriend, I guess he would do stuff like this. Like he liked scenery. He liked to look at things. So that in itself, isn't that weird, but the fact that he drove his car up there is very strange.
1: Right. So this
0: brings us to 7.00 AM ish. He calls his dad, but his dad missed the call. And I guess his dad like didn't have service or something wherever he was working that day. He then calls that Melissa girl again. And She doesn't answer though, because she was at work and I believe she sent back a text saying, you know, I'm working at this point. He sends Melissa some suspicious text messages. So the first one says, and I'm going to read it verbatim how it was written. The first says like some crazy is going on is bleep going on. So I censored myself. Then he says, I just want to talk while I have the chance. So this was officially the last communication with Matt. So it definitely seemed like something was going on. There was some crazy stuff going on and he wanted to say something. So eventually Matt's car is found. And as I already hinted, it was up this fire road, but I mean, it is so far up this fire road that part of the car is actually hanging over the edge of like essentially a cliff. So I don't like that. Yeah, I know. No, like precariously up there. And if he went any further, he literally would have fallen off of it. One person I heard described the location of the car as any reasonable person would have assumed that it was a one-way trip. Mm -hmm. And from seeing the pictures of it, I don't even know how you would like turn around. So if like his goal was to go up there, which seems weird in itself, because he's like running over like boulders and crap. If he wanted to go back down again, I don't think there's any way that he could have even done that. Now, this area is really rugged, but it's actually fairly well-traveled. It's a super popular hiking destination. So it is a little odd that no one saw him or mentioned like this car that's literally hanging off the side of a cliff. You'd think that somebody would have seen it. Another odd thing that happened was around 1 a.m. on the day he disappeared, there was a 911 call from hikers they said but 1 a.m is a weird time to be hiking but there were some people that heard a commotion and screaming and it sounded like someone said he's got a gun the police were called and they responded super quick but they didn't find anything and then they also had tracking done in the canyon the next day but no one was ever found in relation to that police call now remember Matthew was supposed to be with his friend Melissa at her house until 5 a.m so it doesn't really fit his timeline if he was related to that call but we'll come back to that later so a while later i mean obviously he's been reported missing people start looking for him there is a missing person search that happens and i'm not sure how long after all of this had started but at some point a land survey company in malibu took a drone up and created some high resolution photos around where his car was found. And they posted these photos online to essentially crowdsource some clues from them. And it actually worked. Someone spots a red and blue speck and they think it looks like a hat that Matthew was wearing in some of the photos of him. His stepmom and sister went back to search the segment of the search area where that surveillance was captured from. And sure enough, it's his Anaheim angels hat and Matthew's ex-girlfriend was able to find the digital receipt and confirm that this is actually Matt's hat. So I'm not sure there must've been some type of like serial number or something associated with it because they were able to definitively say that it was his hat.
1: Now, is that like a thing? Like I'm not a hat person, so I don't know.
0: I'm not either, but I guess it, it wouldn't surprise me if it was, if you could get like a serial numbered, like official, you know, team hat. I don't know. I, it wouldn't surprise me if there was a distinctive like collector serial number, you know, right. but there I must have my, been something.
1: Like my friend worked at Lids. Is yeah. remember that in the yes. mall? I don't know if that's mm-hmm. still a store or not, but like he would always say like, don't take the tag off and they'd leave like the tag on the hat. Yeah. I don't know.
0: Yeah. So there must be something to it. And this definitely looks, this looks like a hat that you would have bought from lids. Okay. Now they also find something else. They find a ripped up white t-shirt with blood on it. This blood was eventually searched. Like they looked at it and it was inconclusive if it was Matthew's blood or not. I guess there was a lot of back and forth with getting these items tested mm-hmm. for DNA. And I guess, so this happened within the lost Hills police jurisdiction however they needed to go to LAPD and then LAPD wouldn't test them because there was no evidence of a crime but at the same time they wouldn't give these materials back to the family to have them tested privately which I imagine was just like super frustrating yeah in a more recent article it sounds like these items were eventually tested but again it didn't yield any definitive results but it's human
1: blood right um they
0: didn't say that Um, so I don't know, but I do believe he was wearing a white shirt in some of the photos that they Hmm. think he was wearing on like the last day that he was alive. So I think it's plausible to assume that it's his, you know? Right. Yeah. Now I should mention you can, and should, if you're listening to this podcast, look at these photos from the drone search. There's 797 photos. The last I checked and the family actually requests that you start in either the middle or the end of the photo set and move backwards through because most people end up starting at the beginning and then they kind of like give up because 797 is a lot to look at. So the ones closer to the front have more views than the ones towards the end. Mm So we'll post to the website, um, in the show notes so that you can go and look at the photos. And again, if you're listening to true crime, you should at least do something to try to do your part and make sure you don't find anything. So I highly suggest all of you guys go and look at the photos if you find anything. So if you see anything that looks like an article of clothing or a body part, or, you know, some sign of something that shouldn't be in the Valley, um, they give you directions for how to submit a tip on the website. So definitely check that out. So there are a few stories here, um, when it comes to Matthew Weaver and what they think happened to him. So of course the first is suicide. It does sound like Matthew was having a hard time, but I mean, did he choose to take his life? We may never know for sure. His friends and his family feel that that's unlikely. And I feel like the inability to find anything kind of makes it less likely that he took his own life.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: Yeah. I mean, as morbid as it sounds, you can't exactly hide your own body. So unless animal activity happened like right away, which isn't impossible, I feel like something would have been found, especially with all the hikers and all the searching And I mentioned earlier, they respond right away pretty much in the morning to that 911 call. So Mm -hmm. I feel like someone would have found something. Number two, was he somehow not in his right mind? This somewhat combines two separate theories into one. So first his friend said that he was hit on his head super hard, like so hard that there was blood actually coming from like the back of his head, not too long before he went missing. So could he have been suffering suffering from a concussion or something that might have contributed to his confusion or seemingly odd behavior that he displayed that night?
1: I won't get into details, but we know someone who had a head injury and then their entire personality changed. Hmm. And that's interesting. Yeah, I, I guess I'll just leave it at that because that's their yeah. business, not mine. It was very, very odd.
0: That's interesting to note because I mean, it's plausible that he could have been suffering from some type of confusion or something, you know, in relation to that injury. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing was his friends were not secretive in saying that Matt was experimenting with drugs, nothing like super heavy, but he was using cocaine, marijuana, and acid. They were wondering if maybe he took acid and got confused and like, fell off a cliff or something like that. Yeah. His friends don't really think that this is the case. You can take acid a number of ways, but I guess the way he usually took acid was it was in tabs and they'd seen him take two tabs of acid before and handle himself just fine, Mm -hmm. like driving and stuff like that, which is a little scary to think, but the person where he would have taken two tabs of acid and drove off a cliff.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Now, I don't know about any of this, but I do know that I feel like it's the same issue as the suicide problem. If he fell off a cliff or wandered off, you would assume that he would have been found. You know, Mm -hmm. it's a canyon. So it's hard to get out of there. You know what I mean? Like There's only so many places you can go and they had a pretty robust search. You'd think that they would have found him. Number three was, did Melissa have something to do with it? And his friends seem really suspicious of her. First of all, she was a new friend. They didn't know her that well. And neither did Matthew. And it's not like she was a girlfriend. So if he was in trouble, and it sounded like he was, why would he call her? Why wouldn't he call one of his friends? Why wouldn't he call 911? Why
1: would What did the what did the text message say again?
0: It said something like, I don't want to scroll up and lose my spot, but it said something like There's some crazy blank stuff going on here. Yeah. I just want to talk while I have the chance.
1: I feel like now that you're explaining all that, that sounds suspicious, like they could have been together, you know? Yeah.
0: Like something, I don't know. They just said that it was weird that he would call someone that he didn't have a super close relationship with. And I would agree. And in addition to this, like some of her behavior after the incident was strange. Now to be clear, she was never named a suspect to my knowledge. So I'm just going off comments that were made by Matthew's friends during interviews. So I want to be very clear about that. She was never a person of interest to my knowledge, but according to them, her story changed a few times after the disappearance. She also posted this weird video eight days after Matt disappeared. And I listened to the recording of it. And I mean, it's not a good look for her. She basically calls everyone an idiot. And she ends the video with saying, and excuse my language here, bitch, I ain't capable of all that. That's a whole ass body. Which is a weird thing to say. Like someone you were with is now missing. No one really knows what happened. And now you're talking about there being a body like, oh, I couldn't have I couldn't have done anything to him because how would I have disposed of a whole body? It's just a weird thing to say.
1: Right. I feel like I'm going through a lot of emotions. Cause I was like, well, I don't want to like blame her. You know, yeah. I'm sure this was a really hard time for her, but then you said that. And I'm like, why would you say that? Exactly. It's interesting. Cause I did the same thing. Like I read a lot of sources
0: researching this article and the first one was very like, didn't really take a side with Melissa, you know, just said that she was hanging, he was hanging out with a friend. She wasn't a person of interest. They interviewed her. That was that. And from reading her messages, like when you see the messages that she sent back to him and he said that she goes back and looks at her text, and then she responds. And she says like, Oh, are you okay? That kind of made me think like, Oh, you know, she probably just was maybe someone he felt comfortable with. And that's why he called her. And I felt kind of bad for her. But then when I listened to the video, it was like, definitely not a good look. You know, Mm -hmm. it just was very like aggressive. So another thing that is kind of slightly damning, I'd say is Matthew's friends won't talk about whether or not Melissa has gang affiliations on camera. And I heard that she did. And I heard this really great piece about this disappearance. And It's frustrating because I cannot remember if it was a podcast or a documentary and I cannot find it again, like for the life of me. And I listened to this well before we were going to do an episode on it. I tried to find the same piece (laughs) that Mm. I had listened to and I can't find it now. So I'm going off of memory here. I don't have a source for this, but I remember in that, in that documentary or podcast or whatever it was that I was listening to they mentioned gang activity being a piece of this too so again this is all speculative but i heard that she might have been affiliated
1: with gangs okay so i mean because fight- sometimes sometimes people get too deep in that stuff and then they yep. you know mm-hmm. try to get
0: out of it one of the things that was brought up in that whatever it was i was listening to the unnamed source that I can't find now
1: mm-hmm.
0: was they were saying, you know, what if someone was upset that he was hanging out with her and she's affiliated with this gang and someone was jealous. So somebody went and did something to him, which I think is an interesting theory. You know, you're if- hanging, hanging out with this girl that maybe was someone's girlfriend or something, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Is there like a theory that he, What if he knew someone was mad at him and he staged all of this to make it look like he was gone and he's trying to get away?
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, it definitely seems like he was afraid of somebody with that posting the picture of the gun. Yeah. And trying to seek out getting a gun. Like all that was a little out of character for him, I guess. So the final theory here is that someone working at the microwave tower did something to him. So remember how I said the roads split and you could take one side up to the microwave tower? Mm -hmm. Like us, a lot of people had some pretty sketchy run-ins with construction workers in this area. And one of which was actually the podcast host of one of the podcasts I listened to, he had a run-in with the people there and he didn't elaborate on it, but he said, you know, including myself, I had sketchy run-ins with these people. So Matthew's stepmom described one of her run-ins I guess they decided to head up the hill around the same time that Matthew would have been there on the same day of the week to see what he would have seen, which is a pretty smart idea. First of all, she noticed that there was a lot of traffic from the workers headed to the work site. So again, it was weird that no one saw him. Um, But then when they were out searching, these workers started yelling things at the search party saying like, you won't find him," and get the F out of here. The stepmom said that one time they noticed that the workers were like hiding behind bushes and like brush watching them search and their behavior yeah. has just been described as aggressive and threatening i guess there was a land surveyor that drove up there once and he was threatened and even had mace pulled on him so i'm not sure what to make of this but either way there was either scary stuff happening in the area to make these people feel like they needed to act that way or they were up to something. I don't know why else you'd be acting like that. Either scenario just adds more mystery to this di- disappearance, I think, in my opinion. So what do you think? What is your theory?
1: My theory is that he. we don't know why he was afraid. Maybe it was related to mm-hmm. something, some, some person after him. I almost think that he staged something like a, a death, a suicide, something like that. And he's hiding somewhere.
0: That's really interesting. That never even popped into my mind, but my theory was somewhat similar. My thought was what if someone harmed him and they staged it? So we know that he bought drugs that night and his friends said that a lot of times he would carry cash because he didn't like really trust the bank. Um, Did he maybe go pay for drugs or something? And pull out a wad of cash and he was harmed or robbed during that process. And then they drove his car with his phone in it up the hill. And once they got everything staged, then they sent those text messages to Melissa. Like either maybe she was in on it or she was just the last number that he'd been like corresponding with in his phone. Yeah. That's kind of what I think. And then you could throw his shirt and his hat off the cliff, but you couldn't dispose of the body there because. He would probably had a wound that wasn't consistent with jumping off a cliff you know so mm. they would have had to dispose of it someplace else so that's kind of my theory but I mean either way I just feel I feel horrible for the family and mm-hmm. I guess his dad has really struggled with it I think his dad got in trouble for like shooting at police or something like that oh my gosh and it sounded more like it was a his dad was struggling sort of thing and you can just hear like, heartbreak in the family's voice when they're being interviewed. It's just really sad. So this one podcast that I listened to as a source to investigate this case laid out a few simple asks, and I'm just going to reshare those again here so you can get involved if this podcast finds you and you have some way of helping. So their requests were number one, if you live in or you're visiting Los Angeles and you visit the Roses Overlook, if you find anything, call 911. If you are involved in a search and rescue team or an organization, reach out to the podcast, not our podcast, but the podcast that I will link to in the show notes, um, because it sounds like they're trying to organize additional searches. Number three, they're trying to create an online grid of the area that could be publicly posted so people can mark what has and what hasn't been searched. So if you are someone that is savvy with like coding or whatever would need to be done to create like an online grid like that, um, also reach out to um, Tenderfoot TV, which is who does the Live and Die in LA, which is the podcast. Um, Number four, the drone photos, um, I will post to those. And if you notice anything, reach out with the directions that are in that website and just in general if you know anything you can email live and die in la at tenderfoot.tv and i guess they're trying to source things through that source rather than the police department because the family hasn't had the greatest um cooperation okay sure with, yeah yeah with the police department I don't know about you, but I'm always wearing athleisure. Between working from home and podcasting, I'm always looking for something comfy that I can wear to run errands, take the dogs for a lunch break walk, and get in my evening yoga practice without having to change and without looking like a hobbit. Halara specializes in clothes you can take from workout to everywhere. So take advantage of our buy one, get one free offer right in our show notes. While I was investigating this case, I realized that there's two more cases that I heard about and followed that happened literally in the same footprint as Matthew's case. They call the area sort of beneath where Matthew went missing, Dark Canyon. So let's take a look at those. And at the end, let me know if you think that they're possibly connected or if it's just a coincidence. So this next case we're gonna talk about, this happened in 2017. So again, this is right before Matt went missing. And this is the case of Elaine Park. She went missing in pretty much the exact same area. Um, She was leaving her boyfriend's house. She was 20 years old at the time. And she was actually caught on camera leaving the house at this time. So you can see she really did leave. She had been super active on social media, but suddenly her activity just like stopped. And that's when friends and family noticed that she hadn't been checking into places. They tried calling her and all of the calls just went to voicemail. Her car was later located on the Pacific Coast Highway near Malibu, so just south of Coral Canyon Road. So, the narrative that the Lost Hills Police Station was working off of was that Elaine had periodic bouts of depression. She wandered off into the ocean to take her life. But friends and family said that, you know, as far as the bouts of depression, it was just something that like periodically happened. It wasn't like she was suicidal or anything like that, according to the friends and family. So, I will link to the website. I will link to the website that the family created in the show notes. And it has some specific items that they are looking for, for public assistance and additional information about her case and how to help. And that'll be in the show notes. So now let's talk about my Treece Richardson. So now this happened in the exact same spot too. So Erin, I sent you a picture and mm-hmm. the first picture that I sent you, there is a little red like pin and if you look, you can see another pin that says re- recently viewed, and this is Stunt Road. Now, this is where Maitreese Richardson's case happens, and Stunt Road is where Matt Weaver's car was found. So they're very, very, very close. Okay. I remember hearing about this case a while back, and I had no idea that it happens in the same footprint of Calabasas. So back in 2009, Maitreese was 24. She lived with her great grandma and she just graduated with honors from college. And she was checking out graduate schools. She was working towards a degree in child psychology. And Maitreese was just very driven, very accomplished. She competed in beauty competitions, she was in competitive cheer competitions when she was younger. She had no record or anything. She was a great student and just all around a really good kid, it sounds like. And she was gorgeous, too. I should also mention there are some things that say, some sources that refer to her as like a stripper. And I just want to clarify, she was not a stripper. She was not a stripper. She was a go-go dancer at a gay bar. So she was one oh, of the- That sounds
1: like a really fun job. the exactly. way. Anyway. <laughs>
0: So she was one of those people who would stand up on the platform and dance. And granted, she was probably scantily clad. She was still Mm -hmm. clothed. She wasn't removing her clothes and it kind of fits for her. She danced competitively most of her life and she loved it. She also recently came out as a lesbian. So this was like a way to get paid for going to the club and dancing, which she would have probably wanted to do anyway. So it's kind of genius if you ask me, like no judgment here at all. In the days leading up to her disappearance, her family did notice some strange behavior. So for example, my left a weird note on a family member's windshield and like left a bunch of lipstick prints all over their windshields of their car, which was strange. Mm-hmm. She also visited another family member and like left these business cards that she had made like all over the house, tucked in random places all over.
1: Oh my gosh. So as you're t- saying this, if I ever go missing, there will always be a story of, well, she did have some strange behavior right before she went missing. <laughs> I'll be like, that's just Erin. Yeah, that's, <laughs> exactly. that's normal for her. Same,
0: same. People also reported getting odd text messages from her, ones that didn't make a ton of sense, which again, I mean, yeah. how many times do I send messages and like people
1: have to like decode them? <laughs> I don't know why. We were watching The Mandalorian in, the, in that show. They say this is the way. I message him, this is the way. And then every time I think of that or we're watching it, I'll just randomly text him, this is the way. And I've never said why I do it. (laughs) I've never said anything. It's just like a random thing that he's probably like, why is she doing this? (laughs) We're not acknowledging it ever. (laughs) That's funny. So someone's going to be like, her last text message
0: was, this is the way. What does that mean? Yeah. (laughs) Which way? Yeah. You know, it was just kind of, things that didn't make a ton of sense, but I think in and of themselves, they sort of were written off because again, they didn't happen to all the same person. And I think it's easier for stuff to kind of slip through the cracks and not throw up as much of a red flag. If it's not happening like to your kid or someone that you're living with your spouse or something like that, you know what I mean? Was happening to like an adult kid that wasn't living with her mom so I think, you know, some of the things could just be written off as just, oh, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's September 16th and my trees tells her grandma that she's headed out. I think her grandma's like 91 or something like that. So she's quite elderly. Um, And she says that she's headed to Malibu. So she goes off and her next recorded movement is at an upscale restaurant in Malibu called Jeffries. And I looked this place up and it looks really nice. I actually want to go there their menu looks great. Of course you looked at the menu. Of course. <laughs> I scoped that bad boy out. It's right on the water and it would have been on the main route that I'm sure she was taking. And mm-hmm. so I'm sure she saw it and was drawn in by the little twinkly lights and the atmosphere. It does look very inviting. So she pulls up and this place is fancy. So it has a ballet. And so she pulls up and the valet driver is like, you can't just put your car here. This is valet. So he goes and he parks her car. And when he comes back, she's in a different car, like just sitting there going through the stuff in the car. So he asked what she's doing. And she said something that didn't really make any sense. And I watched a documentary on this case. And in the reenactment, she said something like, I'm here to avenge Michael Jackson's death. And I'm not sure if that's what she really said or they just like made the actress say something weird. You know what I mean? I don't know if that's really what she said. Okay. But she said something weird. So she goes inside and she gets a table for one. She orders a $65 steak and a cocktail, which I'm really curious what cocktail she ordered. It didn't give details, which is frustrating. Mm -hmm. These are details I need to know. But then at some point she invites herself over to this other table. And I guess she's just like going on and on about all sorts of things. She's talking about like the Zodiac in a way that didn't make a ton of sense. She said that she was from Mars and her mom was mother earth. And I guess this table was just kind of like entertained by her behavior. So they didn't stop her or anything. They just kind of like let her go. That would be us. Exactly. (laughs) It probably made a good story. Mm -hmm. Um, but then it was time for them to leave and she started to leave with them and the manager stopped her and they said, you know, Hey, you didn't pay for your food. And she insists that the group that she was with paid for her, but they, they didn't, she didn't try to like run away or anything, but they did say that she seemed like overly carefree and nonchalant about it. So with my help, they end up calling her grandma to help her pay her bill. But this is like completely useless. I don't even know why they bothered calling because they wouldn't take her credit card over the phone. I guess because of the amount it was $89. She needed to sign for it. And with her being 91, it's not like she can just drive down there. This was quite a ways away.
1: You know, they don't do anything with those signatures. I know. Like no one ever looks at them. It doesn't matter for a while when I was really young, I wouldn't even sign my name. Because I'm like, I just wanted to see what would happen. So I just did random things. Who cares? Yeah, exactly. They told her that
0: she was going to need to like fax her signature over or something. Like who just happens to have a fax machine hanging around, you know, especially when you're 91. Mm -hmm. And I guess staff members also agreed to pay for her bill, but the manager felt that they should call the police because of the oddness of my behavior. So I heard the actual 911 calling. I heard the actual 911 call and they basically just say like, she's acting really odd and they want her to come and get her. So the police arrive. And at this point, my is getting scared. They give her a sobriety test, which she passes. And then they search her car, which she gave them permission to. And I'm not sure what the reasoning for searching her car was, but she let them. And during the process, they find, a nearly empty bag of weed. Like there was mostly just like remnants of it. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I mean, it is legal in California now, but at the time it wasn't. So like this wouldn't have even happened these days. They would have just like, let her go. Right. They do manage to completely miss her wallet and cell phone that was in her car. The wallet had her debit card. And I guess she had just over $2,000 in her account. Oh, I know. So she could have paid for it, which is just kind of frustrating, but also confusing. Like, why didn't she take her purse in with her? So I should mention that according to an interview in LA Magazine in 2011, the deputy that arrested Maitreese was worried about her mental state. And that was part of why he took her into custody. This was put in an email that the LA Magazine got a hold of at some point in their investigation. According to snippets of the email that were discussed in a Crime Junkie podcast of Matrice's disappearance, the officer said that he thought Matrice was acting weird and he was just uneasy about letting her go. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So the police ultimately end up taking her in for possession of less than an ounce of marijuana, and they put her under citizen's arrest for not paying the bill.
1: The vehicle was towed to a place near the restaurant, and she was- Citizens arrest? I thought citizens arrest was like if I were like I'm arresting you. Yeah, I think it was because the restaurant like detained her.
0: Okay, I think. Yeah, because I, I saw that too. There used to be this Andy Griffith episode where who's the guy? The the deputy Don? I know it was Don Knotts, right? Yeah, Don Knotts yeah. character. But he goes. Um, all I can think of is Elmer Fudd.
1: That's <laughs> <clearly laughs> not it. <laughs>
0: But I remember him being like, citizens arrest, citizens arrest. And that's all I can think of when I hear that.
1: (laughs) That was a good impression. Yeah.
0: So anyway, they take her in. The vehicle was towed to a place near the restaurant, but she was taken to the Lost Hills substation out in Malibu. They call my Teresa's mom and they let her know that they will be taking her to the substation in Lost Hills. So Lost Hills ringing a bell.
1: Cause we've yes. talked
0: about it in the last two cases. Yeah. Yeah. So my mom is 60 miles away and she has a younger daughter who's not old enough to be left alone. So she decides that she's just going to let my spend the night in jail. The officer reassures her that they'll keep her safe and they'll have her call. But my mom is very clear that she does not want them to let her go. My trees doesn't have a cell phone or her car. And the substation is really secluded. And mm-hmm. I looked it up on Google maps and it's right on the edge of that dark Valley area that we were just talking about. The land is very the dark hilly. Canyon. Yeah. Dark Canyon. Uh, yeah. yeah, The land is very hilly. There's just like a little town, but the substation is right on the edge of it. And beyond that, there's just like lots of wilderness and it's only a 15 minute drive to where Matthew Weaver's car was found oddly enough. So it's kind of like on the other side of that canyon.
1: Barney Fife. Barney Fife. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I couldn't go on. I know it (laughs) was really
0: bothering me. What is really fascinating is the mom said several times, and I heard a recording of her conversation with police when they had Matrice in their custody. Um, She said, I don't want to hear in the news tomorrow that a girl was found with her head chopped off meaning like she doesn't want them to let her go and then have something happen to her. So after that, they reassure her that, you know, she'll be safe and she goes to bed. At 5.20, the mom calls the police station to bail trees out and then she's going to go get her. And they find out that they released Mitrice at 12.30 a.m. So according to the sheriff's office, she had no record. She showed no signs of mental incapacitation They did try to get her to stay at the substation until someone picked her up. So either in a cell or in the lobby, but she told them that she was meeting friends and she left. The log calls never showed that she called anyone except her grandma, whom police said that she called four times, but her grandma said that she never received any of those calls. So I don't know what happened there. Mm -hmm. And at this point, the family is really upset because they feel that she should have been placed on like a psych hold but I also kind of get it. I mean, if she's like demanding to leave and they felt that she didn't show signs of a mental defect or deficit, a mental deficit, I don't know if they can actually keep her against her will.
1: Yeah. I don't think that would be legal.
0: Yeah. So it really comes down to how was she acting when she was at the substation? Mm -hmm. If they found her to be sober, If they found her to be sober, it does seem that her behavior was super odd. But at the same time, it's not like they know this person. So I don't know. I mean, the police officer clearly was worried about her. The lady at the restaurant clearly was worried about her. But if you take into account that like at this point now she's scared, maybe some of that like sort of dreamy like attitude that she was having at the restaurant had kind of subsided a little bit. Mm -hmm. it's just hard to say because it's almost like it's subjective you know what I mean it's like someone's opinion of what they feel is normal behavior for somebody that they don't know
1: right and I feel like actually like kudos to the people at the restaurant for being like no we're calling the police because that I'm thinking like that that helped her in some way like they didn't want to just let this person go yeah
0: so I don't know I just can't reconcile that email from the arresting officer saying that he was worried about her. I just, I don't know. It's Mm -hmm. just, it's frustrating. So the police tell the mom to wait 24 hours before filing a report, which is maddening because I don't believe that's an actual law. If you listen to a lot, like if you listen to a lot of true crime, it always comes up that like family are told they need to wait 24 or 48 hours, but I don't believe that that's actually a law anywhere. I think sometimes it's just like the police department might not take the report. But I don't believe it's a law that you have to wait.
1: Which, like, I kind of get. If you're in a huge city, if someone's, like, calls and says, I'm sure they get tons of calls oh, for all sure. the time. Yeah. And if they followed up everything prior to 24 hours, yes, they probably not have time for anything else. Exactly. And, like, like get so, it? My,
0: so my husband's a former police officer. And he said that, like, they would get missing person cases. And they were never truly missing they were just like lost and then they they found where they were you know it wasn't a non-issue so I'm sure you become desensitized when like the majority of your missing person cases are all kind of like that you know Mm. the Lost Hills Police Station they let her go obviously and they later get a call from someone in the neighborhood of Montanito in Calabasas This is about six to nine miles away from the substation on Cold Canyon Road. And honestly, Cold Canyon Road leads right into Montanito, according to what I can see on Google Earth. So it's likely that that's the path you would take if you're trying to get somewhere in the dark, you know? Anyway, the caller says that there's a girl in their backyard and the description totally fits my trees. So police go out and they search the location. I guess the girl told the caller that she was just resting. And when they went back to look for her, she had left. So police were unable to find her at that location when they went there. What is weird though, is that everybody says that my Teresa is like super afraid of the dark. And I get that she clearly wasn't acting in like her right state of mind, but it still just seems so odd that you would walk out into the dark like that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is like, it's 1230 at night. It's an unfamiliar location. It's not like she lived in Calabasas. And it's completely dark. It's like a winding road. I just, I don't know. It just seems unlikely that someone would just be like, yep, yeah, I'm going to walk. You know, where are you walking to? She, it's not like she would have known, you know? Yeah. My Teresa's family feels that someone may have driven her. That's what they think. They think that someone drove her to Montanito. Mm-hmm. So at this point, LAPD has the case because that's where she lives. She lived in their jurisdiction. So they bring out search dogs who do catch a scent and they can actually see her shoes. And it appears like she's walking initially from that place where she was spotted and then running, but then her footsteps just kind of disappear.
1: Hmm.
0: So the family starts digging into what they have left to go off of. First of all, her journals are found in her car. When they look at her journals and her social media and like put it all together, it is obvious that she was having some type of psychological event it seems like she had been awake for like 24 hours before her disappearance and she was just logging like this constant stream of consciousness between her social media accounts and her journals and it's mostly gibberish and like really grandiose thinking and it couldn't have left much time for sleep at all just with the abundance of stuff that she was doing in her journals and on social media the family also asked for a video from the substation. And at first they were told that they just had surveillance video, not like anything recorded and saved. But oddly enough, later they were told that they did have video. And this video shows my walking around her cell. She's clearly agitated. Her behavior seemed like she was just kind of like infantile is how her mom described it. Like futile amps to like, futile attempts to like break out of her cell and kind of like swinging on the bars and Mm. all of it just seemed really off to her mom watching it they can also see a male deputy leaving the facility right at the same time that Matrice was released from a different door and it leads off camera but if you were to follow the the trajectory of the two people it's likely that they saw each other So oddly enough, though, the substation said that there were not any deputies at the station while Matrice was in custody. But you can clearly see one. They also, the sheriff's department, refused to identify the officer that's on the video, which is weird. So I just don't understand, like, why is there such, you know, conflicting information? And why were they... So unwilling to release the video when the video doesn't really show anything, you know, except for that male deputy. So I don't know, it just seems a little sketchy to me. So let's flash forward to 2010. A group of park rangers in Dark Canyon are investigating the site of an old marijuana grow operation in Dark Canyon and they stumble across a human skull and a woman's naked and partially mummified body.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Her clothes were found some distance away, like her bra and belt were removed and neatly placed about 600 feet away. Like her her zipper was undone and everything. Her bra was undone. They also find her right leg up a hill with the femur removed. So this is Matrice. This is less than two miles away from where she was seen in Montanito. So here's the thing, and this is just what's really weird about this whole situation. The park rangers called the Lost Hills Sheriff's, you know, substation, but when the body is found, the sheriff's department is supposed to call the coroner like right away. This is a law, Mm -hmm. but the Lost Valley PD did not do that. They waited 90 minutes and then they had the body airlifted out of the canyon before they received permission from the coroner which is weird. And this also disturbed the crime scene. Mm
1: -hmm. So,
0: okay. It's possible. My trees could have just like wandered off, but what if she didn't, you know what I mean? What if she didn't Mm -hmm. wander off and they never investigated that other alternative. So the lost Hills station that was involved in all these cases also landed themselves in hot water when people claimed that they were conspiring to cover up seven shootings that happened in Calabasas. So do
1: you remember oh hearing about
0: this? There was people just being shot in like parks randomly around Calabasas. I remember I, hearing about this.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's really hard when you ask me stuff like that. Cause I'm like, wait a second. Do I, I don't know if I trust yeah. myself, but I, know, I totally um, get it. Yeah. I don't, I don't think so. So Tristan
0: Badette was found shot in the head in his tent in Malibu Creek State Park while he was camping with his daughters. Mm. And a $90 million lawsuit was filed by his family as a result of law enforcement's failure to warn the public about shootings in the area. So they felt like if the police station would have been more forthcoming with the incidents that had been happening in Malibu, that they probably wouldn't have went You know, camping, you know what I mean? And put himself in harm's way. So they felt that these were intentionally being covered up. And I mean, I'm not saying like someone was doing it, but you know, maybe like not to cause concern. I mean, Calabasas and Malibu are very upscale communities. You know what I mean? Maybe they just didn't want people to know. I don't know. It's not right, Mm -hmm. but. I mean, there could be a lot of reasons, a lot of reasons. So, right. um, so I don't know. I come from a law enforcement family, you know, as I mentioned before, my husband's acts law enforcement. So I feel like I usually give the benefit of the doubt to, you know, police mm-hmm. officers and the police department. But in this case, it just seems like there's all these cases. It's like, there wasn't a willingness to investigate it from like a crime standpoint. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I just feel like they really dropped the ball with a lot of them. And furthermore, what's happening out there? I mean, I'm sure that these cases, you know, I'm not saying that there's like a serial killer or something like that, but it's just so weird that they're in such close vicinity to each other, you know? Mm -hmm. So there is one more case that I want to cover here. And this doesn't involve Lost Hills. But it takes place pretty close to where all this is happening. It's about 45 minutes away in LA traffic. So that's a different beast than like normal traffic, Mm -hmm. I feel like. Yeah. It is relatively close. And it was also investigated by the LA County Sheriff's Department. So this is all like in the LA area. So this story is about Bryce Lapisa. Pisa, I have a hard time pronouncing this last name. Bryce Lespisa. He was a 19 year old back in 2013. And he had just started his sophomore year at Sierra college in Rockland, California. Like this was his second day of school or something like that. So he had only gotten back to school about two weeks prior after spending the summer at home with his parents parents live out in Orange County, but I'm pretty sure that they had just recently moved to the area from Neighborville, Illinois. And Bryce had lots of friends. He was well-liked and popular. And he also had a girlfriend named Kim. Bryce was also an only child. And Aaron, you can relate to this. Yeah, only child crew. Yes, <laughs> we are in the only child club. And Bryce was very close with his parents. You know, we always talk about you and I being only children that we have like a special relationship with our parents. You know, what I mean, yeah. it just seems like, you know, it's not saying that you can't have that relationship with your parents if you have siblings, but I think that there's just something a little bit different when you're the only kid, it's like, you're a package Mm -hmm. deal or something like that, you know? Yeah, for sure. And it's hard to describe, but this is how Bryce was with his parents and his parents describe, you know, him as being completely normal and very open to them. And I am willing to believe that they would have known, you know, Mm -hmm. if he was acting strange, I know my parents would have known if I was acting strange just because they know me so well.
1: Yeah. Like I call, I always called my parents and now my mom with the most insignificant things. She'd be like, something's up. Usually my mom knows when something's wrong with me before I even know something's off. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Shout out to my mom because she listens to all our podcasts.
1: (laughs) Yay. Thank you.
0: Bryce's friends, however, did feel that they noticed that something was different when he came back to school for his sophomore year. Um, They said he was drinking a lot more. He was staying up all night playing video games, even giving away some of his things, which was weird. It was so Mm. concerning that his roommate called Bryce's mom. And Bryce broke up with his girlfriend after saying something like, you'd be better off without me. And I guess this was a big red flag because it just kind of came out of nowhere. He also started drinking a lot of alcohol and taking Vyvanse. So I asked my husband what Vyvanse is. He said that Vyvanse is like a longer acting version of Adderall. So you can't really like snort it or anything. So it's harder to abuse. So sometimes they'll give it to kids that are like in high school because it's just harder to abuse than Adderall. Mm -hmm. And unlike Adderall though, it's binded to an amino acid. So it takes longer to work in your system. So it just lasts a lot longer. So anyway, he was abusing this and staying up all night, which I kind of explained this to my husband when I was talking about this case that we were doing. And he said, oh, yeah, you wouldn't be sleeping much at all if you were abusing Vyvanse. It just lasts longer. So Bryce's mom gets a call from his girlfriend, Kim, or ex-girlfriend, because he had broken up with her. And she says that he isn't acting like himself. He's at her house. And she tried to take his keys away because she didn't think that he should be driving. And I guess, according to her, he was drinking and taking Vivance. And his parents talked to him and he like insisted that he was fine. And eventually his mom felt confident enough to make the decision that he could get back to his house. So she tells Kim to give him his keys and then tells Bryce to just go home. And she said that she would fly up the next day. So Bryce says, don't fly up until after I talk to you. I have a lot to tell you. Bryce leaves Kim's around 1120. At 1 a.m., Bryce calls his mom and he claims that he's at home. But when later they go back and they look at the cell phone tower data, he was essentially in the middle of nowhere. He was like south from school headed towards the Teachapi Mountains. I think it's pronounced. So at this point, the lapisas think everything's normal, but that ends when they get a phone call from their auto insurance company saying that someone had taken out a roadside assistance claim on Bryce's car. So Karen, which is Bryce's mom, so that I can stop saying Bryce's mom. <laughs> mm-hmm. She calls the roommate back at school and he confirms that Bryce is not there. They have a charge on the joint credit card that they have with Bryce. And it's from Buttonwillow, California for a repair shop near the freeway, which is a few hours away from their house. So they kind of assume that he must just be like heading home or something like that. So they call the repair shop because they can't get a hold of Bryce. And they get honestly the most like helpful witness I have ever heard of at the service station. He's a guy named Christian. And he explains that Bryce had run out of gas So Christian delivered a few gallons of gas to Bryce a few hours earlier, and he offers to actually go down and check on him, like make sure that he wasn't in the area still, you know, just tell his parents whatever they could, he could gather from going back to where he had stopped in on Bryce in his car to deliver the gas. So he gets there and to his surprise, Bryce is still there. He's at the same rest stop that he was at when Christian delivered him gas. And that was three hours ago. Hmm. So he asks Bryce what he's doing. And he's just like nothing. And he's like, okay, dude, you need to go get gas and just go home. And I guess he's three hours away from home. So Karen calls Bryce and he doesn't answer. And they give him about three hours to get home and he doesn't ever show up. So it's now been six hours since they've heard from him. So they file a missing persons report and they do this so that they can ping his phone. And like to everyone's surprise, he's still in Buttonwillow and he's only like eight miles away from where he called for gas. So police officer heads over there and checks on him and they do a sobriety test and they check his car and everything seems normal. Um, I guess he was described as friendly and talkative and alert And they ask him what he's doing. And he says that he just needs to like blow off some steam or something. And they said that Bryce seemed like really reluctant to call his mom for whatever reason. He never really gave a reason why, but they had to encourage him so much. So they even had to like dial the number and like put the phone in his hand. So Karen asked the cop if she thought that he was okay to drive home. And she says, yep, I think he is. And so they let him drive. So his parents said that they felt okay, letting him drive home. Um, He didn't really explain like what was happening. So she just says, okay, get something to eat and just get home. So an hour later, Christian, remember the service station guy recall Mm -hmm. returns his mom's phone call, Karen's phone call. And he goes and checks on Bryce in that original area that he was because he still hasn't returned home at this point.
1: And he's still there. Every time you say he's still there, that is not what I think is going to happen. I know he's still there. So at this point, Christian
0: is like, enough is enough. I'm following you to the freeway. So Mm -hmm. Christian follows him out. He gets on the freeway. They go for about 10 miles and Christian calls Karen and says, okay, he's on his way. And Karen finally is able to get a hold of Bryce and she says leave your phone on so that I can call you and they do exchange a bunch of calls and they're asking him to like describe landmarks so they can kind of keep track of where he's at and eventually it gets to the point where he says like he can't see any road signs so he's being kind of shady about what he's seeing so he says you know I'm just going to use the GPS and it says that I should be home at like 2 209, or something like that, or no, he Mm -hmm. said he said when he should be home, according to the ETA and his GPS. So, eventually, they just let him go, um, and hang up the phone. So, at 209, Bryce calls his mom again, and he says, At this point, he's like, I'm just too tired to drive, I need to sleep in the car for a few hours. And I mean, it's been like 27 hours since they first talked to him when he was back at Kim's house, and she didn't want to let him drive. Mm -hmm. So they agree. I mean, he probably should sleep at this point. Right. So they go to sleep. They think everything's fine at 8 a.m. They hear a knock at the door and they're expecting it to be Bryce, but it's actually a California highway patrol officer. And they asked him if they owned a certain type of car, which was the car that Bryce was driving and they say that it was, a fa- it was found abandoned and crashed on an access road to the Cassius Lake recreational area, which is two hours north of their home. Bryce wasn't with the car. So it was crashed at the bottom of a 25 foot embankment on its side with the window that looked like it was pushed out from the inside. Um, the phone and his laptop were in the car His duffel bag and wallet were outside of the car near the window. So if he's gone, he has nothing with him. No phone, no nothing. Mm -hmm. And there was no blood anywhere except for like a really small drop on the headrest in the back seat. So at least from like the initial survey of the car, it doesn't look like there was any massive damage to him. Unless like internal injuries, you know, you can't gain from that, but it's not like there was blood all over the place or anything. It really just looked like he kicked out the window and took off walking. Bryce drove off the Lake Hughes road into a service area for a cell phone tower. Again, like a cell phone tower situation. Weird. And then off the steep and rugged embankment. And they think that he was going really fast because the undercarriage had actually like dislodged things as it went down the hill. And when you're on the road and you're looking at the water, it really does look like the road goes right into the water. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of wondering, like, did he think that he was driving into the lake because it's kind of an optical illusion, like when you're actually at the edge of like the cliff, it's a much steeper embankment. You're actually quite a ways away from the water. Mm -hmm. So there was a large scale search that was done that same day that the car was found. They had cadaver dogs out there, divers dove the lake. They did, you know, shoreline and boat searches, helicopter searches, and they found nothing. Now, remember, this is like, Right after they notified his parents at like 8 a.m. So the same day they're doing all this searching and they're not finding anything. Five days later, there was a body found in the area, not in the lake, near a brush fire that was three miles from where Bryce's car was found. And there was a human set of remains in the fire. So it looked like they actually like set a human on fire, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't Bryce. It was a victim of a homicide and it was a man from L.A. But it's interesting though, that it was so close to where Bryce went missing, you know, through, through the searches, they're very certain that Bryce is not in the lake or around the lake. They feel very confident that he would have been found an hour before he crashed. They can see that he turned on the surveillance road because there was two separate photos of Bryce around 2:15, and three hours before they think he crashed. And they don't know what he did or what he was doing, but they can see that this was six minutes before he called his mom to say that he was pulling off the road to get some rest. So remember when he made that phone call right? and it was like sketchy about like, oh, I can't read the road signs or whatever. He was Mm -hmm. not anywhere near where he was supposed to be. He was already almost to this lake access road. They also recorded him driving again, 30 minutes later down the same road around 430 a.m. So it seemed like he was kind of like retracing his steps or something like that, like making laps, okay. which again is a weird consistency with the Matt Weaver story too. Like so much of this sounds so yeah. familiar that Matt Weaver story. So they used bloodhounds to track where they thought maybe he was. And they track him from the crash site down the lake to the dam, because there's like a dam on the lake. And then across the dam, and then on the road that goes by the spillway to the west, and then up the other side towards a truck stop area. And so two dogs validated separately the same path. So they are fairly certain that he was at this truck stop off Castiac Road. And then the scent trail dissipates. So it kind of almost looks like he took a way out of the park around the lake that would avoid witnesses and then went to the truck stop. So then the question is, you know, did he hitch a ride or like, where did he go after that? Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, they do think that, you know, he must've had some type of dilemma. I mean, he told his mom, like, I have to talk to you about something, you know what I Mm -hmm. mean? And we never know what he said. I mean, it's so frustrating because I wonder what he would have said to her if he had the chance, what was, what did he need to talk to her about? Um, but it does seem like he probably never planned to go home. Mm -hmm. So his driver's license and fingerprints have all been in the missing person system this whole time, as well as his passport. Everything has stayed the same. His account, his social media, he's not touched anything since the day he went missing. In August, 2014, a private investigator was hired and his GPS did show, they were able to confirm that his GPS showed that he was navigating home. So that's an interesting point to note that his GP, he was using his GPS and he was at least theoretically trying to get home based off of that. Mm So as of August of this year, he would be 29 years old and he's never been found. So we will put a link to how to get in touch with the authorities. If you were to happen to know anything about this case, um, you just contact the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department and we'll post their phone number in the show notes. But I just find it so odd that these two cases are so much alike.
1: Well, I feel like with this one, you said it's five Is that what it's called? yeah okay, well, you know when I had mono, I was in mm-hmm. a ton of pain, and I actually went four days without sleeping mm-hmm. and when I went and talked to the doctor, they had to put me on a strong painkiller because they mm-hmm. said you can't go longer than yeah. four days without sleeping. That's when you start hallucinating, yeah, and that's when you start having like all those issues, knowing that if he had gone that long without sleeping. Or mm-hmm. even if you're just getting like a little bit of sleep and yeah. on top of that, now you're drinking, even if it had yeah. been a while, I feel like he was probably so confused and exactly. didn't know anything that was happening.
0: And that is like the one thing that's in common with all these cases, except for the Elaine Parks case. I mean, and we can't really confirm that. I just don't know enough about it, but mm. with my with Matt Weaver and with this case, they all all were not sleeping. You Hmm. know what I mean? And so I think that that is a really interesting observation that they all seem to have that thread in common.
1: Yeah. I wonder if there was like, like five answer. Were they all on this? Were they all all taking some drug that was spiked Mm -hmm. with that? Yeah. Well, they're all
0: right around the same age. They're like 19, 20 years old. And that is a common time in your life that if you're going to have a problem, like a Mm -hmm. lot of people that end up having like bipolar disorder or schizophrenia, you know, things like that, it kind of seems to pop up at this time in life. So I think that that's an interesting thread that's similar as well is their age, but it's just so weird that they're all from like relatively the same area of California Yeah, where they went missing. And that both in Matt Weaver's case and in Bryce's case, they were like driving up a random frontage road and then taking off with their car at a high rate of speed. It seems like going somewhere where a car shouldn't be going.
1: Yeah, that's so weird. It's just
0: so strange. Yeah. I kind of wonder in the Bryce case, if it's another instance of that dissociative fugue state that we talked about in an episode from last season we'll yeah. link to that in the show notes. If anyone didn't listen to that episode, I think it was called lost. <laughs> Don't mm-hmm. remember our show note, our show names, but you know, when that happens, it's like, you forget who you are and you can just wander sort of on autopilot. And so part of me makes me wonder, like, did that happen to him? And he was like, maybe wandering around or succumb to the elements. Or like put himself in a situation where someone took advantage of him and harmed him, you know, while he was in the state. I mean, I feel like if he was still alive, sadly, at some point, he would have tried to access like his financial accounts or something. So it's like, I don't think it's a situation where he purposefully walked off. But I mean, like how many resources could you have as a 19 year old college kid? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. To like go off the grid and have nobody know where you were. I mean, he used his parent's joint credit card to like get gas. You know what I mean? So I don't think, I think that that's unfortunately unlikely, but like really he could be anywhere. Like if he got in, let's say he hitched a ride at that truck stop and Mm -hmm. that truck driver did something to, to him, he could be anywhere. How would you ever find a body? Mm -hmm. And I know that in a lot of these cases, if they have like an unidentified, um, you know, person, It's really hard sometimes to match them up to the original missing person case because they might not be anywhere that you're expecting them to be. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So I think this is definitely one of those where maybe like that familial DNA might break the case, you know, where you end up having someone where they maybe they're unidentified and they end up, you know, tracing Family members back, and that's how they break the case. I know that that's happened in a lot of cases. I think maybe this is one of those instances where maybe somewhere down the road we'll have a break in using that technology. But it's just, I don't know. It's it's very strange how all these cases have so much in common. Mm-hmm. So anyway, for all you listeners out there, let us know what you think about our true crime episodes. I've had a lot of people say like, "Hey, do more true crime." We don't cover it too often, but I'd love your feedback. Do you like it when we do true crime? And if so, like what kind of cases do you want us to cover? Do you wish we did it more frequently? Let us know. Um, And more now than ever, check us out on social media because that is where we'll be posting updates about our episodes since we're not really posting on our usual Sundays right now while I've been in the hospital with my son. So check us out on at Mysteriously Eclectic Podcast on Instagram at Mysteriously Eclectic Pod on TikTok. And you can also follow me personally at Bees Eclectic. And Erin, you have a new page, right? Do you want to tell us the handle of that?
1: Um, Eclectic Erin.
0: And Erin
1: is A-A-R-E-N. Yes. Just in case anyone didn't know, you will never find me if you spell it differently. Yes. (laughs) So I'm just starting that now. So there's not too much content on there, but I'm going to try to keep up with it more. Follow us on social media
0: so that you can find out when our new episodes are going to be coming out, because hopefully soon we'll be back to a normal schedule. And, you know, I just want to say, I appreciate you guys so much. Thank you for listening. And remember to check out our affiliate links give us a five-star rating, tell your friends about the podcast. It really helps us continue to do what we do. So thanks guys.
1: Yes. Thank you so much. We'll see you soon. Yes.